0: You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for the introduction. Um, As you said, I'm going to be talking about Thor. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Thor movie, but in the Thor movie, the original one of the remakes, it sets up this scene of peace. And this peace ends up getting disrupted by the rebellion of one man. And because of Thor's rebellion, he gets cast out of paradise. So, one interesting thing about the movie is that they casted the um, main character for the movie and they made him an outfit. And when he came back to put on this outfit, it no longer fit. He had gotten too big because he had gotten too muscular which is, of course, the main reason most of us no longer fit in our outfits as we get older. (laughs) Right there. So, but before we get into this, before we start talking about Thor, let's just open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day and for your Holy Spirit working through us and drawing us to you. God, I, I just recognize you right now that you sent your Son, the ultimate Avenger, and that today I pray that the truth of him will be proclaimed and received in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the story of Thor, it starts out setting the scene of this story by saying that there was peace in the whole universe. And similarly, if we look to the story of man, if we look to Genesis 1, we can see a similar setup here in Genesis 1.31. And God saw everything they had made, and behold, it was very good. And just like Thor, rebelled, man ended up rebelling, rebelling and going against God, and as a result, getting kicked out of paradise. And we can see this in Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, where we're at in this place is God's made Adam, he's made Eve, everything's good, He's given them all sorts of freedom. He just has one restriction. Don't eat the fruit of one particular tree. But then came along the serpent. So Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the fields that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? how Satan comes in. He starts getting in and getting you to question what you know God's told you, what you know to be true about God. And then continuing down here, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the gardens, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And she ends up being tricked, and he hands it over the fruit over to her husband, he eats it as well. And in that moment, when they realize their sin and it becomes apparent to them, they try to hide. And they tried to hide from God, which is a terrible thing to try because God, by his nature, seeks us out when we're fallen. He seeks us out when we're stumbling and when we're trying to hide from him, God comes. So God finds Adam and Eve and he asks this question. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave with me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So Adam has, he ate of the fruit, and his first intuition is to blame the woman. He goes, the woman, she did it. And of course, the world's first uh, spouse argument began. So Adam blames Eve, and I can kind of identify with that. I can relate because I'm one who likes to blame others for things i had done. And growing up, it took me a long time to figure out that I was wrong because growing up, I always had people around me, and I had this tendency to misplace things. So growing up with my family, I would always blame my siblings or my mom she cleaned it. She moved it. And I'd go up to my mom and ask her questions like, Mom, where are my shoes? And she gave helpful answers like, hmm, let me think. The last time I wore them, where did I put them? And she just gave me this, oh. So then, going off to college, I had my roommate to blame. And then I got married. And we all know we love to blame our wives and our husbands for things. So I would blame my wife, but then one weekend, she went away and things kept disappearing. Hmm. And I found myself alone with no one to blame but myself. And where it really gets to be a problem when we're blaming other people is that when we start blaming other people for our relationship with God and for our sin, and we say, Well, I didn't do this. I would never have done that if it wasn't for them. Or I don't go to church because of this person. Or I'm no longer doing this because this person offended me. And I think the problem is, is that we are going to end up in front of God's judgment throne, and we're going to find ourselves, much like I found myself that weekend, all alone, with no one to blame. So, Adam blames Eve. And I really have to say that I don't agree with them to put all the blame on Eve. I believe that Adam deserves to share the blame. I uh, grew up actually living near the Dells, so as a job, I worked as a lifeguard. And as a lifeguard, I ended up jumping in and saving I don't know how many people. I couldn't even tell you. And most of the time, when I pull them out, they say, I didn't realize the water was so deep or I didn't realize the water was moving so fast. And I would be a little irritated with them because, believe it or not, we, get, we hate it when our clothes are wet. We're sitting there in our dripping wet clothes. But the something that really kind of irked me, and, and it's something I'll never forget, is I was sitting there in my lifeguard stand at the deepest pool we had at that water park, and this little boy comes up to me, about the age of eight, And he goes, hey, lifeguard. like, yeah? If I jump in, you'll save me, right? Um, what? You want to jump in and start drowning? Are you kidding me? He knew the water was too deep. He knew he couldn't swim. He knew the consequences of jumping in, yet he did it anyways. And Eve is kind of like that first group of people who go in, she got into this not realizing and being deceived. The Bible tells us that Eve was deceived and Adam wasn't. And Adam was like that kid who knew the sin. He knew, he sh- the, he knew um, jumping in was too deep, and Adam knew his sin. He knew the consequence. And as a result, he went ahead and did it anyways. And I think that if we can't relate to Adam in blaming other people, I think we can relate to Adam in that in that we have a tendency to do what we know is wrong, it's something in us where we go and we're like, oh, I'm not going to do this this time. And then we do it and we go, oh no, that was so dumb. Why did I do this? And we're stuck sitting there like, what's wrong with me? And it's not we're not alone. Paul struggles over this. Um, when he's going about, and he's in Romans 7, uh, starting in verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want But I do the very thing I hate and later down in Romans seven nineteen, He says for I do not do what do the good. I want but the evil I Do not what I want not is not what I want. And I keep on doing and then down twenty four. Thankfully, he sets this up where he says, "Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death?" And our goal as Christians is to never sin. We ne- the Bible, when it talks about sin, it never says when you sin. It says if you sin. So, if you sin, how we react to it is important. Proverbs 24, 16 teaches us that for the righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumbles in time and calamity. As children of God, God calls us to be overcomers. He calls us to be ones that if we should ever fall, that we're to rise up again. But, but oftentimes we feel like, oh my gosh, look what I've done. How could I ever come back from this? And I think a great story for this is laid out in John 8 so John 8 starting in verse 3 the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst of them mist, they said to him teacher this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman so what do you say And it's kind of funny because the Pharisees are sitting there bringing this woman to him. And they don't realize that the best possible place that we can take our sins is straight to Jesus. And that's just what they did for her. And they're sitting there, they're accusing her and saying, well, this is about the law of Moses and fulfilling the law. They don't care about the law. If they did I guarantee you there'd be two people and not just one caught in adultery being brought forward. Where's the other person? But no, their enemies out to get us and set us down any way we can and accuse us So Going down This they said to him they said to test him that they might have some charges to bring against him And I think lots of us, we feel like, you know what? I took my sin. I took it. I brought it to Jesus. Yet I still feel like I'm being hit with stones. I feel like I'm being hit with all this guilt, with all this shame. And I think what would happen is if we took a moment to step back after we bring our sins to Jesus, we took a moment, step back and opened our eyes and looked around, I think that we'd find that we're alone with Jesus in that moment and the only one throwing stones is ourselves oftentimes we are the hardest people to forgive it's hard to forgive ourselves in the movie Thor he runs into this problem too where he's done some wrong things and all of a sudden he just feels like there's no coming back and he stops and gives up his quest of getting back to the place he was And he gives up. And I never want us to get to that point where we feel like, oh my gosh, look what I've done. There's no coming back from it. Because we can feel that way. But, thankfully, Jesus, in that moment to that woman, he gives her a way out. So as we continue, Jesus talking to the woman, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, if you're going to write anything down from this sermon, I want you to write this down. That whenever God asks a question, it's always for our benefit. You're never going to give God an answer to a question where he's going to walk away going, Oh, I learned something new today. Isn't this cool? No, God already knows. He's asking this to provoke you. He's asking this to provoke her. And her response is exactly what she wants. He wants the response is exactly the one we should have when we're feeling condemned. Continuing verse 11, she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus needed her to get the revelation that there is no condemnation. When we bring our sins to Jesus, there is no condemnation. I know some of you are thinking, but you don't know what I've done. I'm a liar. No condemnation. I gossip. There's no condemnation. I have looked at pornography. No condemnation. I'm addicted to drugs. There's no condemnation with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus came so that we don't, not to condemn the world, but to save it, there is no condemnation. And we spend so much time beating ourselves up over it. Well, let's quick, quick take a look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He sets it up. He's like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But then he continues and it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. We are not to let our sin define us. We cannot let our sin defy us because we have overcome. That's no longer who we are. When we look at our past and consider our past, and you think, oh my gosh, look what I've done in my past. Jesus wants you to take that past, bring it to him, and leave the past in the past. That's what you need to do because that's exactly what Jesus is going to do with your sin. When you take it to him, he's going to leave that in the past as if you had never done it. So, I don't think I could talk about Thor without mentioning his hammer. Now, in the movie, Thor's, oh, sorry. I really wedged this in there. So we have this idea of the hammer and Thor. And in the movie, it's one that no man can pick up for him. It's something that it was a gift from his father that he took. And even if someone did pick it up and place it in his hands, he'd still have to grip it and take hold of it. And it, and, We have something similar. We have something similar. We have a weapon that we use to overcome. We have something that we can use to overcome our enemies. Just like Thor has his hammer, we have a free gift from our Heavenly Father. We have Jesus. We don't have a hammer, but we have a man on a cross. We have Jesus Christ who came as our advocate and died for us. We have an ultimate avenger. And it talks in there about being worthy. And I think where Thor really missed it is that being worthy, our worth, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's only one who is truly worthy, there is only one who came without sin. And he laid down his life for us. Jesus Christ came to this world. He came to us as a man, knowing what he would suffer. And knowing what he'd suffer, he gave it all up for us. And as a result, because he was worthy and because he did it for us, we can be worthy. We can take up that hammer We can take up his salvation. No one else can for you, but you have this choice now because of Jesus to be able to take this up and run forth with it. And with that, we can use it to overcome our enemies. It is our ultimate weapon because it comes from the ultimate avenger, Jesus Christ. But like I said, it's a choice. It is a choice. So, I just want to encourage everyone right now, bow your heads. And as we bow your heads, I want you to be thinking about Jesus and what he did for you. And have you taken and made that choice to take up his salvation, to accept the sacrifice of his cross? Have you taken that up for yourself? If not, I want to give you an opportunity today to take up that salvation, to take up that free gift that God offers us. If that's you today, if you're in here not, have never given your life over to Jesus or needing to do it, just raise your hand right now. No one's looking. Just a one-time decision. Thank you. Thank you so much. Any more? All right, thank you. You can put your hands down. So we're going to pray today. And this prayer is nothing magical. This prayer is in recognition of the commitment we that you made today. So church let's all pray this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know you came and I know you died for my sins. And I acknowledge that you rose from the dead. And I proclaim to you right now that I have fallen, I have sinned. and In this moment, I take it all and give it back to you. And accept the free gift you offer me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, visit us online at wearefuge.net.